0: Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by a and energy leaders tackling key issues and trends in the industry. Kevin M. Jacobs is a managing director with Alvarez & Marcel Tax in Washington, DC, and the National Tax Office practice leader. He brings more than 15 years of experience in tax matters in both the public and private sector. Chris Taylor is the founder and CEO of Gridstore. He has over two decades of experience in the clean energy sector, leading development and investments in renewable energy projects. Christopher Scott is the global lead of energy investments at Google. In this role, Christopher oversees strategy and transaction execution of capital investments to execute Google's 100% renewable energy and 24% carbon free energy by 2030 strategy. Jamie Saul is the managing director, partner, and founding member of the CCA Capital LLC. He works closely with institutional clients on project acquisitions and providing structured tax, equity, and debt capital investments in renewable energy and infrastructure projects. Rogers Herndon is a managing director within Alvarez and Marcel Energy Practice in Houston. He has over 30 years of leadership experience in power markets, operations, M&A, and finance. Sharif Barakat is a partner at Akin Gum. He represents clients involved in the acquisition, development, and financing of power generation and infrastructure projects with a particular focus on tax, equity, and finance. And finally, Kevin DeYoung is a lead product manager with Walters Gloria Tax and Accounting. He will be showing us today how to find additional answers and resources using CCH Answer Connect. Thank you. Kevin, take it away.
1: Great. Thanks so much. And thanks everyone for spending the time with us. Super excited with the cast of characters that have joined me. If you see just on the slide here, it's a wide range uh, of speakers coming from unique backgrounds and it's really exciting to hear, even in the panel press, uh, what's going on and their thoughts. And so just turning to the agenda, we're gonna talk about the overview of battery storage industry and then thinking about tax equity investors and what is the historic and current views on that. Um, Then turning to lessons learned from the current battery storage projects, and and this is really a great opportunity to hear the stories from the trenches. It's one thing for someone to say, oh, this is what I think it is. The people on this panel actually can speak uh, to what's going on. Then we're going to turn to how to establish a a durable corporate investor platform. And then lastly, as always, Kevin DeYoung is going to show us Answer Connect. Um, Please feel free to send in your questions. and. You know we'll do our best to integrate them but if we're unable to do so um we'll, we'll see what we can do as far as addressing your needs but it is a you know we welcome that feedback with that um rogers why don't we go into the overview of the battery storage industry
2: yeah thank you kevin um you know with with us approaching the one year uh, anniversary of the inflation reduction act we thought it was a good idea to get get a group um that's been in the trenches as kevin says and talk about two aspects of of that uh act that are really new and one is the applicability to standalone battery energy storage assets and then also transferability um and as we kick this off i'm going to kick it over to, to chris uh to talk about the battery uh storage uh space and and grid store in particular i just you know, I, I, in full full color and full transparency, I've I've had an opportunity to work very closely with Chris over the, in the team here at GridStore over the last six months, from the finance perspective, and uh, and so I really welcome Chris's perspective. And uh, Chris, why don't you just kick us off with uh, just battery? What's different about battery, uh, standalone battery in particular, and the GridStore approach?
3: Thanks very much, Rogers, and. Uh Thanks to Walter Kluwer and a and for hosting this, this timely panel. And thanks to my panelists for joining. Um, at, at a high level, I think some of the key differences between battery, standalone battery energy storage, which is what my company, Gridstore, does, and say wind or solar, which is where most of the tax equity investment in renewables has gone and what I spent the past 20 years doing, uh, first of all, is the locations of these sites. When you're building a large wind or solar project, you're by definition somewhere Pretty far from town, away from load, where there's hundreds, if not thousands, of, of acres of open space available. One of the unique factors about batteries is its small form form factor. We're able to put these projects. We have a project right now going in in Santa Barbara, California, that'll provide 60 megawatts of capacity on three acres um, in the back of a parking lot. So it unlocks these new opportunities to put load uh, gener- and and resources together in a really unique way. The second piece of it is that storage has a different revenue profile. You've got to factor in how much it costs to charge the battery, as well as how much you paid to discharge it. And you can be discharging into a lot of different markets. That could be just energy. It could be capacity. It could be ancillary services. Uh, you can do that on a short-term contract. You can do it on the spot market, a hedge, a long-term contract. There's just a lot of variety of different revenue structures. And I think that's really where the banks are still and financing parties are really still coming up the curve. There's a lot of differences there that people are still exploring and really optimizing on the developer side to find the the best solutions. Um, I think the other sort of key pieces that, at least the reason we see this is so important is that um, as someone's been trying to build wind and solar on the grid for the last 20 years, we've sort of hit a point where we need to bring flexible resources along with those intermittent renewable generating resources to be able to keep the grid uh, online and storage is really can be built quickly and it really handles the the inter day intraday volatility of wind and solar quite well and can really allow us to put more wind and solar on the grid and reduce emissions in a meaningful way during peak times
2: yeah that's excellent i think that last point uh is is pretty important i mean one of the things that we're we're looking to do with this webinar is to um, really expand the universe of participants in the sector in the tax credit sector and and do it from uh, kind of both a financial lens and a sustainability lens and so the ability to to, to to charge when the let locational or moment in time marginal emission rate is low and then discharge uh, with, with those low uh, intensity megawatts into into peak peak periods is pretty Pretty key with batteries.
3: And what we're finding is that in the biggest in the markets where batteries have the highest penetration thus far, which is uh, CAISO and ERCOT or California and Texas, those two states, um, we've done the analysis and and the places at least where our existing and proposed batteries are the backcast in terms of what would that emissions profile look like. You're overwhelmingly charging in hours when uh, fossil intensity is high. That's when prices. Um, it, when fossil intensity is low, that's when prices are low is when it's coming from wind and solar right so we're almost even if we're just chasing the price signal, we're mostly going to be charging when wind and solar is dominant on the grid and discharging when gas is dominant on the grid. so um, there's exceptions to that but by and large that's the pattern and you can optimize that of course for carbon for revenue for whatever you want and that's something that people like Christopher's company might be looking at is how can you how can you dial that in to address a, a carbon, goal as well as a financial
2: uh, goal yeah and, and chris i mean i think you you hit on it with the 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 land aspect but look uh, you know investment tax credits have been available for paired batteries with solar and wind but you know the grid store uh focus is more urban load pocket i mean we're talking la basin we're we're talking you know city of houston type type Uh, locations right yeah I think that's
3: that's really what's unique here is in in many cases we're coming into places where they're facing fossil retirements due to air quality or other issues in these urban areas and these are in many cases old generating units and it's really difficult to put something new in the middle of LA or in the middle of Houston Uh, battery however has no emissions very little traffic it's pretty straightforward we just need a some of ours are on brownfields quite a few of our sites are on things like gravel pits you know storage lots, places that are very low value pieces of land where there's no environmental impacts and it's literally in the middle of the city because all you need for a battery storage project is flat land and a path to interconnect, like the site-specific requirements are almost nil. Um, So you can really put these things uh, where it makes the most sense for the grid, which avoids all the transmission upgrades. That's the other piece I didn't really talk about. I think the biggest constraint for everybody, wind, solar, fossil and storage is getting on the grid and interconnection and transmission. And we think that by adding more uh, uh, storage in the right places, you can actually build more wind and solar without building new transmission because you're helping solve some of those reliability issues in the urban pockets where it's very hard to build transmission. Trying to build a new 230 KV line into Houston or into LA or into Santa Barbara is very close to impossible today. And so this is a way to help get
2: around and hopefully deploy more renewables. Yeah. I think, you know, with that, anytime you get closer to density, urban density permitting is more challenging, but but it's kind of a trade-off, right? It's it's well while it's more challenging, it's it's uh you know much bigger focus, it's also sort of your competitive uh you know, it's it's the competitive defense uh in a sense that once once you're in um you know it's 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 a high value proposition getting close to that load
3: that's certainly what we think i mean we don't see these are these are areas that are going to continue to experience load growth or at least not any reduction in load in these dense urban areas and it's not going to get easier to site transmission or generation there so you know in our sort of ideal world is a place where you're on the on the edge of load on the in the direction of new intermittent renewables where that clean energy at peak times is trying to get into the city and gets blocked due to transmission constraints we can absorb that energy relieve that constraint and then discharge it later um, when the renewables aren't aren't available that's kind of our optimal scenario and what that really comes down to the which makes it interesting is how do you what's the right commercial structure to do that we personally think you know our view is volatility is going to go up if you keep adding more intermittent generation with effectively zero marginal cost it's hard to see how volatility in the the near term doesn't go up and so we'd like to keep that merchant exposure to some degree and trying to figure out the sweet spot with financing parties of what's the right level of contractedness to to make up a word (laughs) what share of your revenues need to be contracted versus merchant exposed is, is something I think that's the, a big learning point. The technology, I should have mentioned, doesn't seem to be the big issue for, for batteries. you got to remember, these are the same things that are driving on a Tesla or a Bolt, as I do. Like, that's what's in your car. You're driving around with the same kind of batteries uh, that are in these systems. So that's not the issue that, that's challenging. It's really the revenue structure and the newness of those.
2: Excellent. Yeah, Kevin, um, do, we have a, do we have a polling question?
1: So, our first polling question, and again, please answer the polling question so that way you can receive your CPE certificate. Uh, have you invested in battery storage projects? Uh, yes, no, or no, but we're considering it, and I guess Rogers, while they're answering that question, do we want to start discussing an overview of the participants in the tax credit markets?
2: Yeah, Kevin, that would be great um so this. You know, this would be very well suited for Jamie, um, you and Christopher to hit this one. Um, If you could just give the the audience an overview of historical participants in the tax credit market um, and kind of think about that historical, what we've seen over the last year and um, where we see this market going, um, especially with respect to the new opportunities that transferability brings in the market. So, Jamie?
4: sure no no. thank you and and thanks for for walters clore and for alvarez and myself for inviting us so i think i mean historically as people may know um the market's really been supported by kind of two pools of investors um you know they're either financial investors that view this as kind of an extension of a financing project financing those are the large money center banks regional banks and folks that kind of view it as another you know form of financing that they deploy as a as a service, but also as an asset class. And then there's the tax credit investors who really view this more as a tax credit acquisition vehicle, um, you know, and just another opportunity set beyond other available tax credits in the market. Um, And that's been historically the two groups that have have provided financing to the space, um, primarily with solar and, and wind, and more recently with storage. I think uh, over the last two years, you've seen kind of an evolution of, of new investors coming in with a variety of different strategies, um, whether it be to expand their opportunity set within the tax credit investments to include other assets or to expand the universe of options or alternative strategies to support their ESG goals like folks like Google are doing. You know, The tax investment or tax credit investments have become a, a broader tool than just a project financing for banks to, to pursue. Um, because there are other attachment points they provide to these projects and then also other attributes that they may be able to acquire to hit different objectives, particularly on their sustainability goals. So that's really been a, um, you know, a a strong draw for a lot of new investors, particularly corporates, uh, to come into the space to provide tax equity. I think if you look at the adoption of tax credit transfers, although it's new, you know, the market's kind of separating into a couple different, you know, um, investor groups. First is, the folks that have been existing, you know, investors or buyers of transfer credits, mostly state tax credits, premium tax credits, and other forms of transferable credits that that they've used to manage state tax liabilities, where they're kind of converting into federal tax credit investors. Those are insurance companies and some corporates have been active in that space. Um, and then comes the, I would say, the, the the capital providers who have capacity to to do transfers that are using that uh that investment in that capacity to basically attach other pieces of capital whether it be investment you know asset managers uh, private equity funds life insurance companies and others who are looking to add investment assets and deploy capital they're using those credits as a hook into other forms of capital to achieve you know asset growth as well as manage their tax position Uh, and then there's the third group which i think is really just the the tax credit investors be it ones that have a sustainability strategy or ones that are really just using it as a tax credit management or tax management tool um i'd say on the on the corporate side in particular the adoption has been a little bit slower um for a couple reasons one you know they have not been historically as active in the space in, in in you know acquiring or investing in renewable tax credits so it's a new asset class to them you know a lot of these companies are multinationals that have a much more complicated tax pillar and are subject to these Global minimum tax, you know, uh, provisions that are, you know, uh, that have just been extended through 27 before implementation, which provides, you know, a lot more complexity to their tax management decisions. And then they're just um, folks that, you know, just are are uncertain year to year over what their capacity needs are, which historically has been a challenge given the way that these deals have been originated. But transferability will provide a lot more opportunity for those corporates once they engage and use this as a tax credit management tool um i think on the esg side that's probably the biggest pool of interested investors that are looking to support broader strategies that use their tax base to to support those strategies that's currently in renewables whether it's it, it's you know solar or, or wind uh and now extending to storage where they've got a variety of different you know initiatives to get to a you know uh, a certain target in terms of of clean energy for their own use and own demand and their sustainability targets and tax equity has been a good alternative tool for them to deploy that capital to secure those those attributes that they're looking for as an alternative to other ways that they've historically done it. Storage is a new asset class for them as well, but I think they're they're quick to adopt you know that that asset class and potential investment strategy because it's such a critical need for them to expand their load. So I think they're going to be a, a, a big contributor you know to this asset class um, as it evolves and and becomes more of a you know clear impact um you know uh project to to where they're trying to expand their uh you know their footprint and expand electricity load i think google's a great example of of someone that's been progressive you know dating back you know to the you know 2011 2012 when they're supporting earlier technologies where they're now looking to deploy capital to support their initiatives but also new build you know generation and and grid support, um, such as storage, uh, you know, by use of, of of alternatives versus, you know, just doing long-term contracts.
2: Christopher, um, so speaking of Google, I mean, why don't you just uh, give us an overview of Google's, you know, foray into tax equity and pivot to batteries?
5: yeah absolutely and and thanks for inviting us to this panel um It's good to be here with my esteemed colleagues but I, I i do think Google has sort of a unique perch in that you know as as Jamie alluded to we've been an active investor for upwards of a decade but we've we've sort of followed that arc of investor profile over time that that Jamie alluded to um so the objectives of our investment activity have have really changed over time so I would say there's been sort of two generations of of Investment activity at, at Google the the generation one was that historic where that concluded around 2016 and I, I'd say that phase is where our investment activity was Really justified under a, call it a risk adjusted return set of principles and for reasons. I can get into later that approach You know probably was destined to have a, an expiration date but now we're in sort of generation two in, of investing which is notably more driven by our sustainability objectives so you know the way we effectuate those those sustainability outcomes is really by tying our capital to securing the environmental attributes of the projects that we invest in. So it's 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 always you're always going to hear me say it's like the combination of tax equity plus the RECs that are that are connected to those assets which underlie our our underwriting rationale really. Um, so the reason I give that backdrop is just that I I think over time we've assumed a couple of different investor profiles that that Jamie described and then. I think as we look forward, it does feel like, um, tax credit transferability opens up a new, an interesting opportunity for Google to like really activate that future state of investor that, that Jamie discussed. I can see on, you know, the sell side of, of tax credits, I can see Google continuing to execute like highly structured transactions and securing the recs attached to those investments and then perhaps you know keeping the recs but transferring the credits to other emerging corporate investors that you know are financially motivated for instance um, I can also see an opportunity for Google to transfer both the credits and the recs to corporates and maybe our supply chain family, which will then have the knock on effect of you know reducing our scope three emissions so I think there's a number of different opportunities for engage that future state of of investor and then I think um, when we look at transferability it also allows us you know the ability to manage our portfolio dynamically from a risk standpoint which is which is also intriguing as well
2: yeah you know i think when when i, when I step back and I think about google i mean you know you, you're, you also are a piece of the demand growth that we're seeing you know the power consumption um and so you're on the tip of that sphere as well so you know stepping into markets uh enabling batteries um do you, do you think about it kind of that way, like you look, you're stepping into a new region, we're expanding a data center, um, what type of generation is it that you're really going to be using to 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 power that demand? Do you think about that as well?
5: Yeah, we do, and we have a, a particular lens on um, how we might invest in batteries, but I think like before I get into that, pr- probably it, it makes sense to um, paint the picture of why we invest tax equity as, um, as a critical tool to, like you said, to complement our, our energy offtake um, business as well. So one of my treasury colleagues um, that was around during generation one of investing, he often says that you know, Google's corporate valuation is not rewarded by our investment acumen or the outperformance of our investment portfolio. and and that kind of really resonated for me because it started to color in for me like why generation one of investing like had that shelf life namely that it wasn't tied to our our core business and now since our investing activity really revolves around our sustainability objectives um it's viewed as more core to like how our customers and our investors expect um our operations to, to, to work so um You kind of alluded to this, we we buy energy, um, you know, that's been a a consistent business for us over the last decade. Um, And our energy buying activities related to um, our sustainability objectives around 24-7 carbon-free energy. Um, Effectively, that just says that we're going to buy, you know, carbon-free energy 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. And that's a really hard, ambitious target. Um, but suffice it to say, we're an active tax equity investor today because um, we know that we're not going to have any chance of achieving that 24/7 objective unless uh, we leverage every tool that we have in our toolkit, including, you know, energy offtake, including, you know, investing capital to secure RECs, including new technologies. It, it, it includes a whole gambit of, of activities. But when we look at battery storage, like what I'm considering is, you know, when I think about where we deployed Google's capital i 'm um, likely going to interface with like a grid store or a company like grid store um, to first ask how that battery can advance our twenty four seven carbon free energy on the grid um, if by chance the way that that battery is operated you know can time shift carbon free energy into hours when Google needs it the most on the grid, um, then it might make sense for Google to say invest in that battery over investing in an incremental solar wind p p a in any given market right. Um, so that carbon free energy component, it re- really becomes like the critical, um, piece to how I evidence the business case for, for that investment into batteries and, and, and then to maybe influencing the way like grid store operates those batteries, um, at the end of the day. And, and that's also maybe a reason why like a, a company like grid store, Chris may interface with me as an investor slightly different than, you know, a purely financial investor. Cause I'm going to be asking probably different questions and have a different view of the outcomes I want from from that system.
4: It, it, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of the corporates that are out there have different objectives, or they have different exposure, you know, to to either on the demand side, you know, or on the supply side. You know, the complexities of of how the the energy markets operate today, and how storage really plays a critical part of it. Um, and, and investing in these projects and providing meaningful. Training of itself impact investing because it is a scarce resource. And I think the transferability gives these companies more flexibility to shape, as Christopher said, the narrative, but also the product to address the need in different asset classes that they otherwise may be on the other side of the fence as a bilateral off-taker, or may not be able to provide as much of a differentiating product on. Just given the characteristic of, of the asset. So, you know, I think the key is to be able to kind of take the demand side from a tax credit perspective, but then leverage it to deploy it in ways that kind of fit their needs in other another areas than just say they're using it as just a pure tax man, credit management tool, right? And I think that's what storage and other, other other assets within the renewable space really provide, whether it's scope two, scope three emissions, or just basically, you know, building out, you know flexible capacity in areas where you expect to build load in the future. So um, it's, it's a different product than it's historically been. It's just a financing by virtue of the huge need for storage and other, other, you know, components of the renewable energy, you know, market that lack financing that, you know, are, are really looking to the transfer market to capitalize on that, that availability of, of, of additional tax credit capacity.
2: Jamie, um, you know, but standalone battery storage, sort of a a new asset class, if you will, in, in in this renewable energy transition build out. Are you, you know, it's it seems like it's a it's a easy call it I'll, I'll say easy first step to cozy up to this asset class to really learn how it operates as is a participant in the transfer. And I'm thinking like, you know, marketing and trading shops that really want more and more exposure to the volatility play here. Um, Have you seen have you seen uh, tax equity buyers, you know, sniff around from that perspective of of, hey, it's kind of a low risk way to get smart around this asset class?
4: Yeah, there are definitely firms that have the capacity to either trade around it or enter into bilateral or derivative contracts that are looking at the tax equity investment as a tie in to the space. I think there are others that are looking to make investments in the asset generally, you know, as an equity investor that are looking at tax credit transfers as an access point to do that, all of which is, is to attach in some way or learn from you know the dispatch and in the operations of these assets given their their you know kind of relative infancy you know versus other asset classes to kind of determine you know where they want to play but also how they're how they're utilized and and you know what the what the overall profile is so i think as the market expands you know it's a it's a great asset class to pursue tax credit transfers because it's really not going to be as competitive you know in the tax equity space because of the characteristic cash flows and revenue offtake agreements, as Chris said, and I think people still are trying to get their arms around the technology. If you're approaching it from a tax credit investments perspective, you still have some counterparty risk and some, you know, some project risk, but it's much more, you know, kind of ring fenced, if you will. And I think that attracts newer investors that have alternate objectives of either learning or supporting this industry than your traditional financing parties.
2: Great. Kevin, we uh yeah
1: so our next polling question is have you invested in tax equity structures yes no or no but we're considering it um just really quickly before we go on to the the next topic um that poll is hopefully launched for you so you can qualify for for cpe um i would be remiss if i didn't highlight a few of the topics that were just raised um, that we've talked about before. First is obviously ESG and the role, you know, tax tax credits have played in ESG and and the ability to invest, um, as well as the transferability of credits. This is something obviously we've been focusing on in our discussions regarding the implications for Pillar Two and the corporate alternative minimum tax. And so this is, you know, just a part of those conversations. Um, we did get a few questions. Um, with regards to the tax consequences. And just to note as part of the IRA, um, utilities are able to elect out of the ITC normalization requirements, um, provided that the election isn't prohibited by any state or regulatory authority. So that's something that, you know, on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction uh, basis, you need to do. And there was also a question with regards to um, IRS audits of the credits and does investing in, in, Structures that allocate the credits um, impact uh, audit risk, and I would say, obviously, as with any credits, the IRS is mindful of of structures that are used to share them. This is not any different uh, than any of the other credits, and so you know the concerns I think that apply to generally credit partnerships or other investment structures are are applicable here. But there's nothing that immediately jumps off the page as far as saying, oh, what you're doing here um is going to be different than, than anything else um with that i guess rogers if if we want to go to the current lessons and and what we've seen in the trenches
2: yeah thank you kevin um and so yeah th- this will be a great one for um sharif chris jamie just to you know we we're one year in as we mentioned i think the, the idea one of the ideas around transferability was to um, create more access to corporate buyers, uh, kind of an easier way, simpler way. Um, and, um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, like like I, I guess with most things, there are growing pains. Um, so I'd like to get some perspective on how the market has evolved, where we are um, in, in that sort of growing process and where you see it going, let's say a year from now. Um, maybe I'll start with Sharif. Um, Give me a little perspective from from your end you're, you're you're seeing a lot of these transactions come to market
6: yeah that's right thanks rogers so the the transferability i think it is doing what it was intended to do which is it is bringing in more tax capacity to the market and it's bringing in new entrants to the market i think one important piece to focus on or, or to appreciate is that Um, It's also unlocking tax capacity from existing participants who were otherwise unwilling to make an equity investment, which is what tax equity has to be in certain types of asset classes. Those same participants may be willing to provide a commitment to purchase tax credits from a project, but they're not necessarily willing to make an equity investment in that project. So it's both unlocking new participants, new corporates who are coming into the space, and then also kind of unlocking the project set um, that's investable and uh, that that tax credits can be purchased from by existing participants. In in really late breaking news, actually, hopefully, uh, you know, Pillar 2 had kind of been looming out there as something that might really keep a lot of would-be new participants on the sidelines, and if the guidance that came out from the OECD last week, uh, last Monday, I think it was, sticks, and if that's implemented, that that seems to have unlocked a lot of that um, potential as well, that pillar two won't actually um, really ding those multinationals. It'll still be a little bit of a, a haircut, but they'll be able to participate. So a lot of new entrants coming in, but. Kind of going towards what are we seeing right now, right? what are we seeing from the early deals we've closed a few deals we closed some deals before guidance came out um, you know we have deals in the works right now and and it's interesting because there's ways that these deals are as simple as everyone wants them to be right there's a hope that tax credit transferability is more simple not it, just tax equity's brain damage you know that's the word everybody loves to use for it right you have to figure out the partnership stuff you have to underwrite a power plant and really you just have a corporate who's trying to buy some tax credits and advance the greening of the the planet right and, and the decarbonization of the economy um so in theory tax credits should be more simple but what we've seen is that there are ways to make them simple those ways do not necessarily uh work for project developers to unlock the construction capital that they need to build the project right so you could have somebody who comes along and says i will buy production tax credits only after they're generated and and there's very little risk to them well the sponsor then still needs to go find a way to raise money against that commitment then you have to look at the bankability of that commitment and the exceptions and whatnot and what we're seeing also from people uh, you know, both new entrants and existing entrants is that they got a lot of protections in the tax equity world, right? Tax equity was super, super senior, and they're not exactly keen to let those go right away. So, for example, the one that I can give is that if you're a tax equity investor and something goes wrong in the project, you're you're in the dis- the cash flow distribution waterfall for that project. And tax equity investors have become very accustomed to, if something goes wrong, I can start sweeping the cash flow from the project to make myself whole. Well, guess what? When you're a tax credit buyer, you're not in the waterfall. You're not an equity investor. You don't have a claim to project cash flow. So, well, I've seen our uh, new entrants, existing entrants who are learning what tax equity was. They say, well, that sounded great. I want to replicate that. And so now we're having to come up with new agreements, uh, new types of security packages and collateral packages and cash management agreements to synthetically replicate some of the benefits that the brain damage of tax equity gave to these investors. And so it'll be interesting to me to see how this market evolves, whether it evolves in a way with that level of complexity to protect the tax credit buyer, with all these bells and whistles in the same way that a tax equity investor today is protected, or if that market does kind of get simpler over time and there's a little bit more faith in tax insurance products or other types of credit support to allow the transactional documentation, negotiation, execution process to be easier.
4: Yeah, and I think the market's evolving pretty quickly on that front as well as, Just how you might be able to bridge the gap with some of those investors or even ones that are active today um, in the tax equity space that also want to be part of the transferability market. So we're seeing a lot of hybrids now where, you know, particularly on PTC deals, but also ITC deals where you're doing a tax equity transaction and monetize some of the depreciation and become be a more efficient, you know, financing provider there, but ultimately building in some component of transferability through the partnership. You know to either monetize some portion or all of that credit, you know, through a transfer with sharing mechanisms and other 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 adjustments to you know to compensate the sponsor, but also incent the investor, you know, to to maximize the amount of monetization that they provide. And I think that structure is a good segue into trying to find kind of a bridge between the existing pool of investors and new investors while still essentially conveying that asset through the partnership, which may have the same kind of attributes that that you know, Sharif has mentioned, you know, while others are starting to figure out what the box looks like for just a bilateral transaction and risk mitigants, you know, with a direct purchase. So, you know, that's happening in real time on a lot of the storage assets and some of the solar assets that are out there. And I think it allows the banks that are existing today, you know, to underwrite capacity and then distribute that transfer to expand the universe of investors. It also gives investors some surety because they've got partners in these deals and also the conveyance through partnerships that has some of those attributes that he had mentioned so
2: yeah good Chris what um you're in the market um as is as, as a developer so a little bit of a maybe a different perspective what's kind of what's been interesting to you in this um call it first few innings of transferability around battery storage uh tax tax uh, credits yeah, certainly,
3: don't disagree with anything the other the other panelists have said. I guess from our perspective, we are uh, you know to be a developer requires being an optimist, or else you'd give up. So I, maybe I'm eternally an optimist, but uh, I'm hopeful that the um, that the transfer will end up fulfilling its promise. I think as Sharif was saying, the whole idea was to get rid of this disconnect where there's potentially ample and abundant parties that are interested in participating in the tax credit market for all the reasons that were described, but who don't need or want to become niche experts in all the nuances of off-tick structures and technology for power plants. That was the whole idea, at least as I understand it of the tax credit transfer was to allow those parties to be able to have a clean deal where they agree on a dollar price with a developer and it's done and they're not part of the deal and they don't have to stay in it for 10 years and monitor it. So I'm hoping that we can come To I think that was the intent that Congress and the IRS were looking for. I think that's what investors are looking for. It's certainly what developers are looking for is to not have, Look, I used to work with Christopher at Google and it takes a small village of Googlers to to, to get one of these deals over the finish line. You've got people from accounting, from tax, from legal, from treasury, from Christopher's group on the energy side, the energy experts. That's a lot of people. If people could just buy credits without having to get that deep into the diligence of the asset, it would really increase the speed of transactions, reduce the cost and hopefully increase the volume. Cause that's one thing that we, you know, we need to double or triple the volume of tax equity as a result of the IRA. Most estimates predict that the, you know, 18 to 20 billion a year that's been going in is maybe a half to a third enough of what we really need. So I think getting that transferability down to a, a smooth science would would be fantastic. And for all of you who make money on transactions, we can make it up on volume. We can do more of them uh, with less brain damage and less time. And everyone will be better off, especially the planet that our kids and grandkids are going to inhabit. So that's my hope is that we can figure out how to how to really make that promise real. What we're seeing right now in terms of learnings is that, you know, banks are still trying to understand the difference between a hybrid system like, you know, a battery that's connected to a solar or wind project or something that's kind of an add-on to a solar wind project versus a strategically sited uh, battery resource. They perform very differently. The economics are different. Um, so I think that there's we're still in a learning process, but the people in this industry are smart and it's a dynamic industry, so I'm sure they'll figure it out quickly. But um, hopefully we can get to a place where it's an easy transaction for people and they don't
2: have to invest as much time. Yeah, I think, you know, having Having worked side by side with you on this, um, one of the things that that strikes me, maybe not surprisingly, is that the level of diligence for these first rounds of, of transfers is really not not much different um, in the early stages is getting the you know financial institutions up to speed. Uh, and that that should progress. I think Sharif, you mentioned uh, tax equity insurance uh, is evolving. I think the relationship between the ITC buyer, and the construction to term loan uh, finance, or that, that's a, another you know, area that needs to get smoothed out. Um, and, and Will, I mean, we're seeing it real time. Um, I guess just before we shift- um,
6: Well, that's now. actually just real quick. That's an important yeah. one that has to get figured out is just how do lenders fit into this, particularly yeah. on these ITC transactions? Because a lot of what I, I rattled off there know i think some of these investors could do without they don't need these security interests and springing cash managements and whatnot that's risk aversion and there's ways to get credit support there but what the way lenders could foreclose and the way their collateral packages worked in tax equity deals allowed them a lot more flexibility to uh realize on that collateral as compared to tax credit transfer deals and so that's some of the structuring around creating potentially internal partnerships or creating assets and cash flows that lenders can foreclose upon if they need to will be something that's very important for the development of the tax credit transfer market.
4: Yeah, I yeah. think right now, I mean, the challenge is, is that you've got, an, you've got an asset class that's relatively new, but as Chris, as Chris says, isn't well understood in the financing market, right? And they want what they want. You've got a credit market that likes the credit per se, but they don't necessarily understand the characteristics of it. And then you've got all these legacy structures that may or may not work for that transfer as a standalone. So I think the market's trying to figure it out quickly because they they want the demand to be there on the on the investor side. It has to be right. I think particularly for new builds, you know, like storage and and, and renewables, you know, that that group has to be attended to so they can have homogenous type product. And then from there, really just accommodating the other financing parties that have to fill that gap that. needs to be filled for these things to be financed so i think that's happening in real time it's just not happening as quickly as the pipeline coming into the market looking for financing is but i think it it will you know relatively quickly once the 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 corporate market in particular you know kind of gets their arms around how they want to transact right now it's not really as formative as it as it should be because they're really not used to acquiring credits like this right but i think that's happening fairly quickly to, to figure that out and i think as Google has shown it particularly where you have more strategic investors like you know Google and other corporates that want to do things beyond just by the credit, that's going to drive the process more quickly, right because they have a an, you know an additional objective beyond just the credit so yeah great
3: yeah, I think um, that's a great point that you make and the, and that Christopher made that that really having that tie in where it's not just a treasury activity it has it's it's where the tax credit investing for the corporate ties into the broader objectives. And in the case of companies like Google, those those are not sort of nice to have objectives. They're pretty front and center objectives that companies actually, uh, these companies are committing themselves to. And tax is another tool in the toolkit for, as, as Christopher said, it's a pretty challenging uh, goals that they've set, but they're goals that we all need to meet for humanity to survive. And so this is, in my opinion, fairly low-hanging fruit of another way to to get more progress quickly. It's just a it's a learning process, but on the total spectrum of risk and cost, it's low.
2: Yeah, excellent. Kevin?
1: Yep, so let's turn to our next polling question, which is, do you have tax capacity for energy tax credits? Yes, no, don't know, as it depends on market conditions. And so we have about five more minutes before Kevin DeYoung shows us uh answer connect so Rogers, why don't we turn to establishing a durable corporate
2: investment platform? yeah th- th- thank you this is for christopher uh you know i think you're in the really the best position to to give us some give us some thoughts on you know google's approach to establishing a sustainable corporate investor platform and, and kind of what what your advice would be to others uh, as they embark on this journey
5: Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, so just to give you a sense, I spent an outsized portion of the first year relaunching our tax equity platform, convincing developers, sponsors that, that Google is going to be a programmatic, long-term, consistent investor. Um, so, you know, this idea of setting up a durable platform has like been front and center, and I'm happy to share some of our insights and learnings around it. Um, I think first I'd stress that Internally, we view Google's overall charge as um, using our experience in the energy markets, our transactions experience, all the internal infrastructure that we built around all of it uh, to create on-ramps for other corporates in the ecosystem to plug into decarbonizing the grid. And so um, I think it's especially true as it relates to equity capital, where we've been, like I said, active in some shape or form for upwards of a decade. So I view this as like really like two tracks corporates can pursue. In, in track one, so you're a corporate that's considering establishing a tax equity program internally and, and that's amazing and that's great. And the good news is that the bar to establish that program doesn't necessarily have to entail building out significant overhead. I, I think we take a very lean approach to Google and they've been able to deploy you know meaningful amounts of capital relative to a, a, a relatively small team. But but, track two, if you're that corporate that you know does not have the desire to build out those internal capabilities but still sees call it the financial or ESG goals that can be advanced by engaging in best tax equity, um, the IRA I think provides opportunities for you to partner with corporates like us at a much lower transaction friction level than has been the case historically and and could potentially do less resourcing internally. So, in my mind, the key to either one of those tracks is really really identifying and aligning where tax equity uh investing aligns with your organization's core business needs and principles and i think by doing that internal investigation work it, it'll ultimately give the the rationale for being that consistent reliable investor through any number of like cyclical business transitions um for instance i'm thinking about leadership turnover in business segments or market transitions like you know recessions that may dictate a realignment of your products and services right like Any time those transitions occur, as they inevitably do, um, executives start reallocating resources from non-core activities. Um, So the one thing I'll caution is that it's not immediately obvious for every organization um, that it's a financial imperative solely, or that it's an ESG imperative solely, or some balance of, of the two that provides the ultimate business rationale. And and there may be a fair amount of call it running the traps internally to, to like really ascertain what that objective is, um, that tax equity satisfies. Um, but I'll just give you a sense for Google. Like you know, for us the answer like like we talked about is largely and almost exclusively tied to our sustainability objectives. Um, what we learned in the first year of doing tax equity investing under that lens is that. Um, you know, it's, we're likely going to find it exceedingly difficult to reach our sustainability goals without thinking of investment as a tool to fill that gap. And so um, it's those two aspects of our business together. First, the market expectation that, that Google's operations will be run a certain way. And then second, the role that tax equity plays in ensuring we meet those market expectations that, at least for Google, ensures that this activity will remain a priority through, you know, any of those economic cycles and general business transitions. So I'd say there's like two insights that I just want to like really underscore. The first is like really spending time on identifying that that, you know, where tax equity is as a core part of your business. And that could be the investment returns, tax management, it could be ESG, that's great too. It could be all of the above with the different weightings, but whatever the outcome just really doing that investigation work up front, I think will will put you in a good stead. And then the insight, too, is that, um, you know, once you're armed with that knowledge of what your critical business um, objective is, then aligning your org structure to that. So for Google, what that means is that our energy team, which is where I sit, takes the lead at identifying and underwriting the business rationale for every investment we are proposing. Our treasury colleagues are still deeply engaged, obviously, in the financial underwriting of the investment. but the business case for investing resides in non-financial objectives so we aligned our org structure you know within it within the energy team to be the tip of that sphere um so that's all to give you a flavor of like how we we think about um this at google and how we figured it out to be durable and, you know I, I appreciate that not all organizations are going to look like google in this regard but i think the potential of the ira um is really to grease the wheels for corporates to play a bigger role um going forward and that then has historically been the case so if google can facilitate that growth of that ecosystem that that's probably a role that we're we're keenly interested to play
2: that's so excellent
1: exceptionally helpful um i greatly appreciate all of my panelists joining me um i guess kevin deyoung if if you're able to now show us what we can learn on Answer Connect. What should we know about the energy credits, and and take it from there. But again, if anyone has questions for the panelists, please continue to submit them in the platform. Um, we'll we'll do the best we can to to address them. Thank you so much, everyone.
7: All right, everyone. Thank, thank you. you so much. That was a uh, great information to be covered in 55 minutes. A lot of information there. Thanks so much uh, from Walter's clure especially. on uh, the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to take a a walk through CCH Answer Connect, our tax research platform, and really just give a very high level overview how you can begin to use this tool to begin to understand the implications from the tax credit standpoint of, of, of everything we've heard and talked about today. So we're going to actually just jump in real quickly here um, on CCH Answer Connect, and we're going to do a quick search um, on uh, the business energy as we begin here. And we're going to hop into a tax topic. Um, This is going to give us that high-level overview regarding many of the credits and information that we heard about during today's presentation. And this is going to give you, if you're not overly familiar, what was involved in the IRA and what happened with this and how we can begin to take advantage of some of these credits that are out there as they relate to sustainable energy specifically. And these topic pages are going to link you into other areas within the system, whether it's code sections, regulations, Uh, if there's been some previous cases that are coming back and being reheard regarding this, private letter rulings that have come out, we're going to give you information and access to all that content as you work through the process of better understanding the issues. This topic page will then take us through, for example, some of the uh, subsidized finding and sections under um, 1603 grants, Um, If there's any credits in lieu of other credits that are out there, we're going to walk you through that. The editors have then actually pulled together deeper dives into subcategories within the energy tax credit area. So you'll be able to go into qualifying energy properties, beginning of construction for business energy credit property. We heard a little bit about that as we went through this uh, this presentation. Again, from the tax standpoint, we want to be able to drive you to that content as quickly as we can. One of the things our editorial team has also done is put together what we call client impact events. And this is where the editors take a deeper dive into specific areas regarding this topic, the timeline of availability of the information, additional key primary sources that are out there that you also may need to review. There's communication tools, client letters um, to be able to use as you go through this process. We're also then going to drive you directly into that code section. Um, So you can dive into what the actual code says. We're going to take a look at this here in a minute or two as we continue walking through this page as well. We talked about client letters. So if you need to communicate this out, if they're smart charts, you want to see some comparisons from the federal provision into the state provisions. Um, What are states doing in response to the federal law currently? Um, Many states are beginning to legislate on this, while many of them have nothing in place currently. So there's a lot of information, a lot of background research that you can do regarding not only the federal provisions, but the state in which the activity is going to take place. Um, With all of our services, we are going to be putting a great deal of news out there, smart charts, forms, and instructions as well. I'm going to scroll back up here to my key primary source and walk you a little bit how we've presented the tax research workflow as it relates to the specific code sections related to this issue. What you're going to see here is a tabular view that we've we've named our 360 view, giving you that full view to all contents related to Code Section 48 at the federal level. You've got the the entire IRC. Any regulations that are out there now have also been posted directly to this code site within this 360 view. You're not having to jump around, whether it's in different websites or tax research publications, to find all of that information. You then need to go into deeper dives regarding the CCH analysis of this specific code section. Again, all of that, enter, all of that information is put together on this site. You've not had to go out and find that. As I mentioned, any cases, administrative guidance, rulings, are all out in this location as well, to streamline that entire tax research process. We have any forms that are applicable to this specific code section, as well as, as I mentioned earlier, bringing um, those tools to you as well. Uh, Mentioned previously, the final component here, if you do need to take a look at what any given state in which the transaction is taking place, what is that state doing here as well? I'm going to hop in Illinois just as a really quick example where they begin to talk about Illinois actually does not have a direct provision currently related to this tax credit, this business energy tax credit. So, we're going to get you through that information and allow you to understand what's happened in that given state. So, again, very quick high-level overview of CCH Answer Connect as it relates to this specific topic. Would love the opportunity to um, have some further discussions with you if you're so interested. And with that, Margaret, I'm going to pass it back to you for the final polling question.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.